your eyes. We're going to flip the lights up real quick. And uh, if you have a Bible, I'd like to send you to Psalm 78 for just a few minutes, starting verse 5. It says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Over the last, you know, well, the month of January, we went through the book of Joshua and we're just looking at their transition heading into the promised land, our transition heading into a new season of church life. And um, we're, we're going through the book of Joshua, basically a chapter a week. And you may recall this part of the story. Um, you don't need to turn to it, but in Joshua 4, starting in verse 1, it says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Meaning, take stones out of the middle of the river, bring them with you to the other side as you enter into the promised land. Um, verse 4, Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. He said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So, create a memorial that makes your kids ask questions about what God did. When they ask you, why are these stones here? What do they mean to you? You give a testimony to what God had done. We got to that. I feel like that's like one of those parts of the Old Testament where you're like, yeah, I, just, I love that. I love that he he had them make this memorial, and they need to tell their kids, and and they need to to continue to tell the story, continue to tell the story. And uh, I think we all love that. Well, if you go all the way through the book of Joshua into the book of Judges, uh, in chapter two, it, it's kind of the what happens next? So the book of Joshua just unfolds all the conquests of the land and all that kind of stuff. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. You don't need to turn to this either. Just It'll be up there. It says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Meaning, Joshua and that whole generation, all those adults that crossed into the promised land, that piled up the rocks, that did all the stuff, um, they all passed away. And there are, it says, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. It's not John Baals. That's like different Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
They went after other gods from among other gods of the people who were around them and bowed to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. So, story arc. Tell these kids how good God is. Yay. They go into the land, begin to take the land, and all that we know about it is that it didn't make it to the kids. You know, the stories of God's faithfulness did not make it to the kids. They did not do what we really love about chapter 4 in Joshua. What we hope that they would do, what you want to do with your kids, they didn't do it. Because it says that once all them were dead and the next generation came along, the exact words, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. They didn't do their job. Now, I don't know this for a fact. Let's just speculate. What are the chances that they got into the promised land and it was awesome. And by the time they, they fought all the battles and everything, got all in their tribal lands and all that kind of stuff, and life maybe got a little comfortable, maybe they didn't go back to the Jordan very often. You know, Maybe they got a little relaxed and were like not telling the story as much. Somehow a whole generation grows up not knowing the Lord. Not a few kids here and there. There's always a few kids here and there. But an entire generation that did not know the very thing that their parents were supposed to tell them. Now, back to Psalm 78. Same, same thing about the same period in history. Verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a, new, a law in Israel, which he commanded to our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, arise to them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. The point of telling the testimony was so that the kids would set their hope in God. And not forget what God had done, but obey Him because of what He had done. So Gabe, if you could keep verse 7, just, keep, just leave it up there. That's the point of biblical storytelling in terms of like giving a testimony. What's the point of a testimony? It's to help you set your hope in God. And knowing, knowing what God has done, remembering the works of God, that you would keep His commandment, that you would obey. It's about hope and it's about obedience. Now, I, there was a part of me that was like, man, I wonder if I could like, bring all the kids in the room down to the front and just tell them our church story. And so I started to play that out in my mind. And I was like, no, that, emotionally I could not handle that. And then that would freak them out a lot. So... Uh, <laughs> You're welcome for that. Um, but in March of 1998, about 30 people got together in the sanctuary at Parkview Baptist Church uh, to worship God in song and in prayer and through the study of the Word. And just about every Sunday night since then, 20 years, um, that Sunday night gathering has happened. And I want us all to know that story. This isn't really for the kids. I mean, it is for the kids, but it's for all of us. Because this story arc that really comes to an end tonight um, is supposed to do the same thing. It's supposed to help us set our hope in God and not anywhere else. And recalling His works, knowing His works, uh, help us to keep His commandments, to be obedient to Him. It's, a, it's about hope and about obedience still. So... Here's a, a quick version of how we got to this point. Some of this you probably know. Um, 
Some of you have been around for those 20 years. Some of you have been around for like 20 days. So uh, whether wherever you are in the spectrum, I hope that this is in- interesting to you, but also, more importantly, that it's affirming and encouraging. Um, so here's, here's what happened. In, in, uh, sometime in early 1998, uh, I got a phone call from a young man named James Wallace, who is here, or he was here. He might have left. He might have got bored. Is he here? Where's Jim? Jim and Margie. Would y'all stand up real quick? This is Jim Wallace. Um, he and Margie are, are here in from North Louisiana to be here tonight. And uh, he and my parents were on staff together at First Baptist Gonzales. Uh, supposedly, him and my dad were playing cards when I was born in the waiting room because back then the dads couldn't go in. So he always likes to tell me he was, he was there when I was born. He wasn't there when I was born, but he was in the vicinity. Um, years later, him and, him and my dad are on staff at Parkview together. And Jim wanted to get the college ministry going at the church. And I uh, had this idea about a Sunday night worship service. And um, just was like, I, I think we need to do this. And so he sets up a meeting with me. And I am uh, in my first senior year at LSU at the time. It's the best one, honestly. And so your first, uh, so I go to the meeting and he's like, I want to start a Sunday night worship service. I want to hire you as an intern. You do the music. Our, our interim pastor is a phenomenal teacher. He could do the teaching. What do you think? And I remember thinking, you are insane. There's no way that this is going to work. As, an, as a college student at the time, um, I'm 21 years old. I'm pretty involved at LSU, and I kind of know the scene. I'm like, there's no way they're going to drive all the way to Parkview at 7.30 on a Sunday night when they can go to the chapel on the campus at 7 at night. You know, I could just, they were already having something. It just didn't make sense. And uh, I said, I, I don't know that it's going to work. I don't think anybody will go. And he said, I just want you to pray about it. I said, okay, I'll, I will do that. And I prayed about it, and back then, praying about it also involved talking to my friends about it. I don't know if you've ever been there. And uh, I would talk to my, my peers about it, and they would be like, no one's going to go out there. It's so far, and it's so late at night. And, um, but then it would just come up in conversation. So we'd be like, you know, but it would really be awesome to be able to do this, or to try this, or uh, I've never seen a church do this in regard to college students. And so it just started to come up uh, a lot, and... And the more that I, pr- I prayed about it, the more I talked with other people and just started dreaming a little bit, I felt like God was, was like nudging me to go and do this, which would require that I leave an internship I had at Zor Baptist with Randy Riggins. And at the time, the youth ministry there... Raise your hand if you were in the Randy Riggins era youth ministry. Okay, all right. I, I had never seen God move among teenagers the way he was doing at this particular time. And I was just could not believe that I was even in the room, much less uh, getting to be an intern for this guy. He was just one of the best. And uh, but I would have to leave this really great situation to go start this thing that I didn't think was going to work. And yet, it seemed like God was in it. And so I left Zor, went to Parkview. We started this this thing. And uh, Brother Jim, he was like, it needs to have a name. It needs to have a name. And I was like, it doesn't matter what we name it. It ain't going to work. <laughs> so we picked a, a target date and we picked a name. And it was The Ring. 
And it was from a sermon that, sermon that a bunch of us had heard this guy preach, and he was talking about just a, a, a Christ-centered life and what that looked like. And he used this hula hoop type thing about just being really centered and like living in the middle of this ring. And uh, it was all about God's presence being active in your life and the principles of God's word being applied to your life. And uh, coming away from it, we we're like, well, if we're going to start a worship service in an era where there was a lot of uh, trends starting with like. Uh, that's when you're starting to get into a lot of like uh, just a real complicated worship services to try to attract people, you know. We're like, what if instead of doing something new and innovative, we just did something really old, you know? Like, what if we just got together and we we studied the scriptures and we prayed to God and we sang to God and we were just we did that together? What if it wasn't about trying to be innovative and new? It was just about realizing the simplicity of what is really ancient and old. And so we were like, we'll call it the ring. It won't work anyway, but it's, you know that'll help us remember what it's about. Picked a target date. It was March 29th, 1998. Um, I just turned 22, and so I was super wise and uh, learned at that point. And, um, and I only say that because I want our young people to pay attention to this part of it. Um, the... To have, um, to have people trust you, to have the staff at Parkview trust you, and say, start this thing, do what you want to do, let us know how we can help you, and then actually do that. Uh, but they just gave us permission to dream. You know, They didn't come up and say, well, you can't do this, and you can't do this, you can't do this. They let us dream with, you know, within the boundaries, of course. And so we would just try stuff. You know? So one of the things that we were going to try, we were like, okay... Uh, our, the band that was leading worship at the ring was the same ones at TNT at the BCM. And TNT was, it was very outreach driven. It was loud, electric music. Like it was just kind of, it was something else. And so we were like, well, so what if, if we're trying to do something simple, what if even the music was simple? What if, um, you know, at the time, like uh, MTV Unplugged was still relevant enough to where you're like, well, if Eric Clapton can do it, Nirvana can do it, then surely we can do it. And so, uh, <laughs> It was like a really chill, like every all acoustics and like the Bruce played hot sticks on the drums and um, that kind of stuff. We sat on stools. Uh, actually, if there's a green stool up here, it's from that. Like it's that old, so don't sit on it. Um, and we uh, we put we started to just put some music together. The first song we played was "Jesus Lead On," um, and uh, it's a good song. We're not gonna do it tonight, in case you're wondering. But um, we just tried it, you know. And uh, it didn't, you know, we didn't like burn the place down, but it, it, it was it was good. Like it was like, well, that was fun. So should we do it again next week? Like, okay, what we'll do it next week? And it was, I think, smaller the second week, maybe a little bit bigger in the third week. And we just started trying stuff because we felt like God was in was doing something. We felt like God was saying, "Gather together, keep it simple." Love me, love one another. Just, just do this. Do this thing together. Um, so that was in March, and in the next fall, we kind of started to to try some different things. The next fall, uh, there was this thing called Save LSU, which was a campus wide revival, and um, it was all the groups came together and did this revival. And a lot of us from the ring were a part of the planning and execution of this thing. And so it was like Greek amphitheater, you know, that whole deal. And that, like God did some things in that time, like in that week, in us, 
the whole campus didn't get saved, in case you were wondering. Like, it wasn't like this, like, thing that they're, like, news crews are coming in to do stories about or anything like that. But the people who were there, God, God did something in, in us. Um, we started to go, we started to go to Mr. Gaddy's on Fridays, which doesn't sound very holy. But we started to realize that our friends would not come to the ring or to TNT with us, like our friends from school, but they would come eat pizza because it was cheap on Fridays. And so we started bringing people to Gaddy's to meet our church people, and then some of those people started coming to the ring or TNT and that kind of stuff. We started to see this connection. Um, we started trying to do small groups. Uh, there was one summer where I, I was gone with the band doing worship stuff. Jared Williams uh, ran the show for the summer. He started breaking the, the Sunday night group into small groups and having discussions at the time. Um, and people started to be like, man, this is great. We wish we could do this in people's homes. We're like, oh, that sounds like a novel idea. And so community groups kind of came from there. And um, we went to Passion, the, like the Passion Conference. And God took this group of like 60 or 70 college students who had been worshiping on Sunday nights. And he put us in a room. Um, and we just opened up to him and to one another. And the whole time it was like, well, God's doing something. He's doing, we're not sure what he's doing. We're not sure what he's doing. And so um, whenever that happens, everyone starts trying to label it. And the label we kept putting on it was this thing called Super Church. We're like, we're going to start a church. It's going to be not like the super church, like Superman, like better than any other church. But like it's going to be a super church. What that really was, though, was that was our idea of saying, hey, you know, you could start from scratch at some point and dream it up from the beginning. Every church has a beginning point. What if we were the beginning point for a church? And we just laughed at each other, you know. Like, what do we, what do we know? And nothing against people in their early 20s, but when you're in your early 20s, um, like things like seem like they seem really tangible and then they immediately become fleeting, you know. And a lot of that is because people older than you are looking at you and they're like, you don't know anything. And I can tell you this, we knew God was doing something. And we had people older than us laugh at us and just shake their heads and be like, you kids are just on your emotions and all that kind of stuff. Just, just wait till you graduate, you start, get a real job, you see how life really works, that kind of stuff. But there were adults who looked at us and said, listen to the Lord. You just, you just listen to Him. You do what He says. He very well may be calling you guys to start something. And those voices sent us to the Lord in, in prayer. And so what we did was we, we took a, a, a period of time between the fall semester and the spring semester that month. And we said, we need to be praying about this because we're talking a lot. We're getting each other all hyped up about it. But we're not, we don't know if he's, if he's really saying this. So we took that month. We called it 30 Days of Prayer because we were super good at naming things. And... We just, we prayed, and it was like, okay, what are we trying to determine? Is God calling us, like, does he want us to take this college ministry? Is that what he's doing among us? Is it going to become a church one day or not? So for a month, we studied, we prayed, we did not, it was a gag order. We did not talk to each other about it. At the end of that month, we we went to Jake Rush's house. Jake was our first friend who graduated and got a real job in a real house. Uh, he had like a driveway, like we were told that was amazing. And so uh, we went to Jake's house. We pulled all the furniture out of the living room so everyone could fit. And there were maybe 30 or 40 of us. And we systematically went through and said, okay, what, what do you feel like God was showing you over this month of prayer? We came away from, the, from that meeting uh, knowing a couple of things. One, 
we unanimously felt like that was the trajectory of this ministry. Even though we were young, even though we had no idea what it really meant to start a church, we didn't know anything, we sensed that God was saying, hey, I'm doing something here. Pay attention. Join me. And we just wanted to say yes to him. We also came away with the realization that it was going to be a couple of years before this would happen. Some of us were ready to go. I mean, there was, there was a building down on like Stanford that some of us like literally walked around seven times and prayed and asked God to give it to us. Like We were like in it and uh, ready to go. And God, in that 30 days of prayer meeting, though, he pumped the brakes. He's like, look, that's the trajectory, but there's some stuff that needs to happen first. And from our discussion and the things he was showing us in prayer, uh, we came away feeling like the timeline was a little bit different. But in the meantime, we needed to do a couple of things. One, we need to seek wisdom uh, from people who have planted churches. Two, we needed to get ourselves organized. And three, we needed to invest in Parkview Baptist Church as much as we possibly could. And the invest in, in Parkview thing, that's, that's really where I... It's kind of one of my just really landing points for this tonight. God took a bunch of young people who were super excited, and they, they really were. Like, it was really a special time um, in, in my life of being surrounded by people who were hungry. Um, and, and I'm not saying that it hasn't happened since then. I'm just saying every time that happens, it's special. This was one of the first special ones for me. Um, when, when we were talking in that room that day about planting a church, and God said, yeah, but not yet. That was, it kind of took the wind out of our sails. And then when he said, invest in Parkview now, like, almost like don't get so focused on what's down, what's down the road that you forsake what's happening right now. I feel like that is, is, has been a 20-year lesson for us. Is that God is not just about the destination that he's bringing you to. He's about the journey itself. Like he, He's about every one of those relationships we've had for 20 years that have come through here. It would be very easy to look back 20 years and say, man, God knew that in 1998, Sherwood Baptist was going to call you guys up and this was all going to happen. And he's just, everything that you were sensing he was doing was all pointing you toward that thing. And I don't think that that's it. Because that's saying that that's all God really cares about is getting us to, to, into a church building. I think God wants us to look at it the way that he does. Outside of that time, uh, outside of linear time, and recognize that every person that's ever come through the doors was a part of why he was doing this thing as well. That there are people all over the country who at different points came through the doors of that college ministry, some, some just for one night and they never came back. Uh, others would, would come for months or weeks or years, and some stuck around in Baton Rouge, and some God took other places. But it's about God looking and saying, hey, the whole thing, I was, I was doing this the whole the whole thing, it, it wasn't just about what I was leading you to. It's the fact that I was leading you. Like I was with you. I was for you. And so there's like so every single moment is treasured. Not just what are we working toward. It's, man, God's with us and for us right now in this moment. And so on that first night when we met, even though he knew where we would be in this room tonight, 20 years later, um, he was also all about that night. He was all about the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And all the people that had come through the doors over the years, and all the people that will come through, the, through our doors, he's about all of it all the time. So 
So when it comes to setting our hope in God, we can set our hope in God because He is one that looks at all of it with equal value. He treasures every single bit of it. So you can hope in a God who's like, yeah, I'm going to meet you in this moment. I'm going to be all about this moment. And I also know how this moment, this moment fits into the next moment, into the next moment, and the trajectory. It's both of those things. That there hasn't been a random person come through here. There hasn't been a random occurrence. And nothing that we've been through in all this time is random. It all fits together. And your life and my life are the same way. Like what's happened with the ring over 20 years, your life is like this. It's the same pattern. He's like, am I bringing you somewhere? Yes. Am I doing something today? Yes. Are, are they, is one more important than the other? No. Both are valuable because that's how big God is. So whatever your like the dreams that you have, uh, it's really about looking at him and saying, is, are you in this or not? We felt like we had a chance to do something special. We felt like God was in it. We had people encouraging us and spurring us on, and we just came to him and said, what do we do next? He said, get organized, seek wisdom, um, invest in Parkview. So we put an elder, an elder board together. We were, our collective age was like 24, but whatever. We were elders. We, we put some leadership together. We went, to, we went to the conferences. We read the books. Um, a part of that was me going to seminary. I go to seminary. I get out of seminary, and, or I knew my time is coming up, and I go to the senior pastor. I go to Bill Pruitt. And uh, from the time he became a senior pastor, he knew that this is what we wanted to do. And he was all about it. He didn't look and be like, well, I don't know about that. That didn't fit my vision for Parkview Baptist Church. From the very beginning, he's like, I think that sounds amazing. Let me know how I can help. So we put a proposal together. We went uh, in 2005. Our, our board of elders took a month and researched it. We went to Jake's Deer Camp in Jackson. We spent a weekend coming up with a proposal of what, what would this look like to plant a church as a mission church from Parkview. And um, we brought it to Bill, and we met with him one night, and uh, it was after a really terrible business meeting. And so we're sitting in this business meeting, and our eyes are like big as saucers, and we're like, oh my gosh, what is happening here? And immediately we go into a meeting with him where we're like, this is our proposal, you know, we're all excited about it. And uh, he comes in, and he's like, all right, y'all ready? And we're like, hold on, are you, are you ready? Are you ready? <laughs> like, we don't have to do this tonight. And uh, he said, I can't think of anything better than to listen to what you guys are talking about right now after a difficult business meeting. And so we brought in our proposal, and we didn't know anything from anything, but we had done our homework. And we said, we believe that God is doing something. Um, And he said, I agree with you. I think God's doing something too. And so we set up our timeline and uh, went to the trustees and did all the stuff that you do to launch out as a mission church. And so in 2006, on February the 12th, we planted as a mission and there are so many things that got us from 1998 to 2006. Every single one of them, though, was God taking care of his people. It was God being trustworthy with us, his sons and his daughters that he cares about. We didn't always do the right thing. We didn't always handle things the right way. But God was constantly going before us, coming behind us, to our left and to our right, hemming us in. He was guiding us forward. Because he takes care of his bride. And so when we, when we planted the, the church in 2006, we got into the gym at Parkview Baptist. There's, uh, there's this one picture I have. I'm sure there's others somewhere. There's only one that really came out well because it was super dark, super dark. 
And we, uh, all of us got in the middle of the room, and then all of our like family and friends and part of you folks got around us on the outside and circled, and they prayed us into existence. And we, um, we took this leap of faith because we sensed that God was doing this, you know. Like it always goes back to, is God, is God at work? Is God in this? Is God doing something here? Can we join Him? Can we join Him? Can we join Him? Plenty of reasons to not start a church. Plenty of reasons why uh, church plants don't always make it. In fact, most of them, statistically, they, most of them fail. Why are we here and some others aren't? I don't know, outside of grace. Not grace, but God's grace. Like, I don't really know the answer to that. But I do know that God has been caring for us. That every step that He's led us to, He's we've never, we've never gotten to a point where we just didn't have what we needed. We were at Parkview for two years. The new pastor comes in and says, Hey, I need, I need the gym back on Sunday nights. So you need to start planning your exit. Okay, we don't know where to go. BCM gets renovated. So we're like, all right, cool. We make a, a jump to the BCM. We meet there for four years. Then we apparently are very literal with being fruitful and multiplying. So they're like, kids, 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 kids. Don't have enough space for them. Um, Byron Townsend and I have a mutual friend. That's how we've known each other and stuff. I'm at a random meeting of pastors. Long story short, he's like, well, just come look at Grace. He said, we're doing a replant over there, and maybe it w- maybe the space will work for you. And um, you know, we've been here for six years. That every step logistically as a church, God has provided for us at just the right time. In 2015, uh, we did our 30 days of prayer was on asking. It was it was on ask, seek, and knock. And what we were doing, we were like, hey, look, we're going to take a, this month and we're going to ask God to speak into our future. We're going to ask Him to uh, basically to, like give us a place. Like, he says to ask, so we're just going to ask Him. We give us a place. A place that can be a home base for us for ministry. And um, during that, I don't know if I told you guys this yet. During that time, like during that month, Tommy Middleton calls and he says, uh, he says, hey, what do, you, what do you think about Sherwood Baptist? I'm like, I, I don't know what I think about Sherwood Baptist. I don't know anything. And he said, well, he said, he said, I know. He said, I was just, just thinking about you guys looking for a place. And he said, I think that Sherwood, Sherwood may be... I think if you went to them and initiated something, they would maybe be willing to talk to you about doing a revitalization of some sort. And um, and I said, well, are they are they? What, do you have like proof of this somehow? You know, like you know something I don't know. And he said, no, it's just a thought. And I said, well, I said I don't really know that you just like cold call, walk up to some church, and be like, hey, you want to you want to go on a date? You know, like I don't think it really works that way. Um, and I and I said, plus it's pretty far to the east. And we got a lot of Zachary folks that we love very much. And that would add another 15, 20 minutes to their commute. Um, and so, like, I just don't think it's really in the cards, you know, probably to initiate something. Plus, it's far to the east. Plus, you know, whatever. And um, so we're doing our 30 days of prayer. We're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking. And we come away with God being like, no, not yet. Not yet. So what happens between then and now? Well, um, one, we planted a church in Zachary, which we didn't know at the at that time, but God knew that was going to happen, and that that would change what a map looked like for us in terms of future location. Um, there was a flood that we didn't know about, but He did. Um, he knew the impact that the flood would have on Sherwood in terms of relocating people. 
Um, he knew the people that would remain. He knew the day that Bruce Worrell was going to call me. He knew what those conversations were going to look like. He knew every single bit of it. In 2015, we were asking him. And so when he says, well, not yet, that ain't random. So college ministry days, God's doing something. We just want to join him. And he's like, yeah, I'm doing something with your future. I'm also doing some with your present. And what does that present look like? It's me taking care of my bride all the time. Neither of those things will change when we go forward. Whatever the other side of this, this transition looks like for both groups, God's going to continue to do those things. He's going to continue to be at work and say, come join me. And he's going to continue to take care of his bride because that's who he is and that's what he does. And so what does that have to do with, with setting your hope in God? Well, if you look at that verse, at verse 7, it says, So they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. When we are thinking correctly and we're like, okay, here's a God who's outside of time, knows everything that's happening, and is all about this moment and the future moments, and He is constantly orchestrating, guiding, encouraging, correcting. He's just leading us perfectly. Why in the world would we do anything other than just saying yes to Him? That's why we set our hope in Him, because He knows He has that perspective and we do not. He will take care of us. We don't have to take care of, our, of ourselves. Like he, God is doing something. We join Him in that. And that fits into the, the, like the church story, but also fits into your story and my story. That's your indiv- like individually, it's the same thing. If you're married, that's the same thing for your marriage. If you have kids, same thing for your kids. Uh, same thing for your friends. Same thing for your community group. Same thing for whatever it is. It's always the same because he is limitless. He can give that kind of attention and love and detail to his people, and he does. And so why set your hope in God? Why be obedient to God? Well, maybe our 20-year story from March of 98 until now, maybe that can be one more thing that you recall. You're like, oh yeah, I am am one with a God who does that kind of stuff. Who takes young, um, like college kids who just are dreaming and they just want to say yes to Him, and He puts them on a path and brings in all these people the whole way and lets them be a part of a church plant and puts one foot in front of the other to bring them to the point because that's who He is and that's what He does. That's why we can hope in Him. And that's just the story of the ring. There are billions of other stories that are all telling the same thing. Set your hope in Him. Don't forget His works, but obey His commandments. Keep His commandments. Do what He's saying to do. And so I hope that this is an, is an encouragement to you in a, in a deep way to realize that the same way He's taking care of us, He's taking care of you and yours. And your children are going to inherit this one day. They are. And you have, you have sacrificed beautifully for them. You guys have you've hung in there. You've come on Sunday nights. You've, uh, you've, you've just put in the work. And a lot of this was for them. But it wasn't just for them. It was for you too. It was for one another. And uh, I... Um, as I was recalling this story... Uh, just thinking about the the near misses in terms of like times when I almost went and did something else, either for a living or through another ministry and stuff like that. And that, most of that was in the young, the early years. And I was like, man, that's 
That would be weird. It's weird to think about like what would have happened if I hadn't done this or this or this. And I was like, you know, the saddest part is, is like, it just means I wouldn't be in this room tonight. It doesn't mean that none of this will be happening. It just means that I wouldn't be here. And I cannot imagine being in another room. I can't. Uh, I can't imagine being in another room next Sunday morning. Uh, I can't imagine doing this with any other group of people. And so uh, I have been incredibly sentimental lately. Uh, with with the with the story arc coming to an end, I've just I've thought about so many people and laughed about so many stories, and then just realized like, man, we've walked through such heartache with one another and such great, wonderful times with one another. And we, we've been super confused at other times and operating great, great clarity at other times. And and I just love you so much, and uh, I cannot believe that we get to do what we get to do next week. It just it blows my mind. Um, and it's going to be amazing. It is. It's going to be a transition, obviously, but uh, I've used the analogy a lot lately of feeling like a, like a couple that's about to have their first kid, and they realize it's not going to be just them anymore, and how excited they are about this new, this new life, but at the same time just want to soak up every moment. You know? So um, that's what tonight has been for me, is like I just want to be in the moment. I want to, I want to wrap up the, like we started, you know, I want to put a bow on it in a not weird way, uh, and and so we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna do what we normally do is we're gonna we're gonna respond um, we're gonna serve communion and you are welcome in our communion line you don't have to be a member here or anything like that you you just have to want to say yes you have to say yes to what Jesus is offering you he's offering you his body and his blood and uh, this is the kind of where you you tear the bread off yourself and you dip it in the in the cup. Uh, it's just an optional response. You don't have to come and take it. You can pray. You can sing. Uh, we're going to conclude our time the way that we always have. And uh, just enjoy this, this one last time together before this amazing new season opens up. So why don't you stand as the band comes back up. I love this pulpit, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>